This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, that's the greeting of the risen Christ. He offered peace to his disciples. And so it's an appropriate greeting for today, this great Easter Sunday. When I was preparing this homily, I took a look at our first reading. I'd never preached on it before, but I realized this is the great Easter homily. What we have in the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles is St. Peter's speech on Pentecost morning. He's just been filled with the Holy Spirit, his mind and heart on fire, and he gets up in Jerusalem. All the pilgrims are gathered there for the feast, and he gives the first great Christian sermon, summing up what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So I thought, why am I wasting my time writing my own homily? I should just comment here on what St. Peter says. I want you to do this in your imagination. Imagine that you're there on this Pentecost morning. It's a festival in Jerusalem. And you happen to see this odd figure get up. And he begins to speak in a provincial accent. He's from Galilee. Bracket, if you will, that he's St. Peter. Bracket, if you will, he's talking about Jesus Christ. Just think, here's this man now laying out something to me. What I want you to see is how startling it is. How uncanny, how strange this message is. This is the kerygma. This is the basic proclamation of the Christian faith. Pretend you're hearing it for the first time. Listen now to St. Peter. You know what's happened all over Judea, beginning in Galilee with the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He's not talking about a new set of ideas. He's not talking about a philosophy. He's not talking about a new set of religious principles. He's talking about a very particular man with a name, common name for the time, Yeshua, Jesus, who came from Nazareth. Not a big town, an important town, a little out-of-the-way place in the boondocks. He also mentions Galilee, a region of the country. A lot of the people there knew it. He also mentions Judea. He's talking about a very particular man who walked the ground that these people knew, who was from a town that many of them knew, had heard of. Maybe some were even from there. Christianity, as I've often said, is not primarily a philosophy. It is not primarily a religious way, not primarily a set of new religious convictions. Christianity is about a relationship to a person, to this particular Jesus. That's the one that Peter is talking about. 
What's he say about him? How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. There we have his title. Jesus Christ. Christos in the Greek means anointed. That's what Peter's saying. This Jesus from Nazareth, who walked around this area that we all know, this Jesus was anointed. In the Old Testament, priests, prophets, and kings were anointed. That means those who were the special bearers of God's presence. So Jesus, like them, was anointed. He's a Christ, Christos. But how is he anointed? He is anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. He's not just God's representative. Not just one more prophet. Not just one more teacher or king or priest. But this one has been anointed with the very Spirit of God. And what he bears, therefore, is the personal presence of God. You know, this Yehoshua, this Jesus, from that little town of Nazareth that some of you know, he is the bearer of God's own self. There's all the drama, there's all the poetry of Christianity in Peter's speech. It's the language of the Incarnation. God became one of us. More to it, he's been anointed with power. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have power. Jesus is the very presence of God. Therefore, everything about him was power. I've come, he said, to light a fire on the earth. Whenever Jesus appeared, wherever he came, whomever he addressed, he unleashed power, change. He changed people's lives. Peter is saying, in relation to him, we saw him, we witnessed him. In relation to him, we were changed. Our lives turned upside down. We were transformed by him. Then this, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This one, this Jesus from Nazareth, whom we knew, who transformed our lives, who lit a fire on the earth, this Jesus that walked around here, Galilee and Judea, that one, they killed him. Now he means the high priest, he means Pontius Pilate, the authorities, but Peter knows he could just as well have said, we killed him. Because Peter denied him, the disciples betrayed him and ran from him. We killed him. This one anointed with the Holy Spirit was put to death by us. What does that mean? It means that all is not well with the human race. We know we are sinners in relation to Jesus Christ. Karl Barth, the Protestant theologian, said, we don't really know we are sinners apart from Jesus. We don't know it abstractly. We know it in relation to him because he was the author of life and we killed him. Therefore, whenever we're tempted to say, all is basically well with us. I'm okay, you're okay. We're basically good people. We hear Peter's speech. We killed him, hanging him on a tree. Of course, it's kind of a phrase there for the crucifixion. Well known to the people of that time, 
They saw people crucified. They knew what that meant. This is what we did to the author of life. Now, here's the center, here's the hinge of the homily. This man, God raised on the third day. This man, yes, I'm still talking about him, Yehoshua from Nazareth, that one. The one that walked around this ground, Judea and Galilee, that particular man. The one who set us on fire and the one whom we put to death. That one, God raised him from the dead. This is the standing and falling point of Christianity. This is the decisive claim. If you believe it, you're a Christian. You don't, you're not. Imagine again, you're there, you're there this Pentecost morning. You're listening to this this strange, compelling speech, and you hear this claim, God raised him from the dead. Do you believe it or not? That makes all the difference. Notice, please, we are not talking about an abstraction. Oh, resurrection, that means that we all hope to live forever with God. Oh, yeah, that means that the soul of Jesus must have gone up to heaven. Oh, that must mean his cause goes on. None of that. If that's all it means, the heck with it. Listen to what he says. This man God raised on the third day and granted that he be seen. Who saw him? Peter did. This man standing up there on Pentecost morning, he saw him. He saw him. He saw him with his own eyes. Read the first letter of John. He also saw him. He says, The word of life, what was with God from the beginning, what we have looked upon with our eyes, what we've touched with our hands, that's the one I'm talking about. There's something that is wonderfully, densely particular and real about this claim that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, I'll just make one brief reference to the Gospel from the Gospel of John. It tells that wonderful story of John and the older St. Peter running to the tomb. That beautiful detail that John gets there first. Graham Greene, the Catholic novelist, said, that's always stayed in my imagination because it seems so peculiar. Why would they put that in? Unless that was a real memory of a real Sunday morning when something absolutely spectacular happened to these people. This is the claim of the church. Now, listen as he goes on. He was made visible, not to everybody, but to us, the witnesses chosen by God in advance, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now that line, if it doesn't take your breath away, you haven't heard it. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What I love is this juxtaposition of the most ordinary and the most extraordinary. We ate and drank with them. That's what we do all the time. We sit down with our friends, we eat and drink. Imagine people gather around a table, eating, food, drinking. After he rose from the dead, Peter's claim here is that he and his friends saw him and ate and drank with him after he'd risen. How real and how 
unnerving and how amazing this message is. How exciting this message is of the church. That's what Easter is about. How's it conclude? He commissioned us to preach to the people and testify that He is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Listen now. If you've been listening to Peter, you find his speech intriguing, interesting, fascinating. You come to this decisive claim that God raised this man from the dead in such a way that he could be seen by his friends, that they could eat and drink with him after he rose. If this is true, then Jesus is everything. Not just one among many. Not just an intriguing teacher. If what this man is saying is true, then I must give my whole life to Jesus. Listen how Peter puts it. He's been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. That means the measure. That means the criterion. That means the one by which my life is gauged. I must give everything to him if this claim of Peter is true. And this is what we're being asked now on Easter Sunday morning to do. We're being asked to make a decision. Is he right or is he crazy? And if he's right, then I must change my life radically and become in every sense a disciple of this Jesus. The one thing I cannot be is indifferent in regard to this message. Either it's crazy fantasy or it's the most important word ever spoken. That's the invitation. That's the decision we're called to make on this Easter Sunday morning. God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers every day, everywhere.